Hey, everybody, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. Thanks again for listening. Uh, great show ahead. Ned Bellevance is going to join us. Ned can be found online. He's at nedinthecloud.com. He's an independent content creator, a longtime practitioner and, and architect in, in technology. Uh, he creates a lot of amazing content for the Pluralsight platform, which I'm super proud to be a part of as well. Uh, and he is also a podcaster in a professional sense. He is uh, the creator uh, and host behind Day 2 Cloud. So this is a lot of fun because we talk a lot about education and, and how to do things about bettering ourselves and bettering the rest of the industry. And you're going to pick up some tips on stuff that maybe you didn't even realize on how you can help to teach yourself and teach others how to get better with everything uh, with the basis of, of how we talk about it in technology. With that, let's get started. Hey, this is Ned Bellavance from the Day 2 Cloud Podcast, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Here we are. Uh, this is cool. I rarely get a chance to talk to somebody as experienced on a microphone uh, as as this man, uh, Ned Bellavance. You are the voice of of many podcasts. You are the creator of so much content. Uh, but I, I will. I can't do you the justice of an introduction that you couldn't do yourself. <laughs> so, Ned, let's introduce yourself to the world around. Find out how they can get a hold of you if they want to want to stay in contact, and then we're gonna. To talk about a bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I should start by who I am. Uh, so I'm Ned Bellavance. I run nedinthecloud.com. So that's the easiest way to find me is just go to the website. Uh, but if you want to find me on Twitter, it's ned1313. Uh, try to use that pretty much everywhere as well. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Ned Bellavance. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. It's not a common name. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's usually, if you find Ned Belvance, it's probably me, right? <laughs> this is this is how I ended up being Disco Posse because there are way too many Eric Wrights in the world. Uh, one of them being Easy E, uh, a, a mm. very popular uh, football player uh, <laughs> at, in the U.S., uh, as well as a Canadian mystery writer. So if you wow. Google, if you Google Eric Wright. I'm, I slowly trickle up into the first page, uh, mm -hmm. but if you Google Disco Posse, I own it. <laughs> yeah, you're the only one. That's, that's a good plan. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, cool. uh, even though this is an audio podcast, of course, uh, I, I get to see you on video while we're doing this and I see guitars in the background, which I love. So uh, yeah. there's, there's more than just a voice behind uh, Ned Bellavance. You, you're a player as well. Uh, I strum around. It's mostly just when I'm stuck on something and I need to stop thinking so hard about it. I can like strum around on the guitar a little bit and, uh, and, and it just gets as the juice is flowing in the background, you know? Uh, so if there's a hard technical problem I can't quite solve, take a step back, strum out a few chords, 
think about something else and boom, it just pops right into your brain. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, it is funny that when we, when we do things around learning, uh, it, one of the best things you can do if you hit one of these like break points where you get stuck is to physically do something because it detaches you from the mental, like kind of like model that you're wrapped up in. Cause what we do is we end up just playing it over like a loop. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. groundhog day, you get stuck. You're like, no, if I try this again, (laughs) you know, if I try it again, if I try it again and you really get frustrated. And uh, even then when you're learning guitar, I got taught early on by, uh, by a great teacher. He says, do it while you're watching TV. He says, because then you're watching TV and you're concentrating on something else and you're, it becomes muscle memory of, of the way that you're playing. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of a neat idea. And it actually worked well so that when I started playing guitar, of course, you know, every shot of me on stage would have been me looking down at my hand. Now it's, you know, me like grinning and making weird faces at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think me, the top of my head looking at my hand would have been much more attractive. But uh. <laughs> no, no. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see how different people approach learning. Um, and what sort of like little shortcuts or life hacks, if you want to use that old terminology, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, that they've figured out to, to help them with their learning. Because one of the things that I heard really early on in, in sort of the learning field was, you know, there's different types of learners. Some people are visual and some are audio. Um, and then later research kind of came out and said, well, yes, some people do have a sort of preferred medium, but you actually learn through all of your senses. So you can't just focus on one aspect of learning. It has to be, excuse me, it has to be a multi-sensory experience. And that's what I found to be true is I need to read the book, I need to watch the video, and then I need to actually type it out in a console. And that's the point at which I actually learn something. It's not just one of those things by itself. This is the interesting irony of, especially as creators, we, become a problem sometimes because we are we no longer learn in the way that we create because you've <laughs> you change the way you approach it because you think about it as a like a, as a structure like and 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 I'm also the worst I do not use video training I create a lot of video <laughs> training uh talk about video training let's like i got to give a huge shout out uh because i i i did a, a very brief course uh, recently uh for plural site uh, it's about hashicorp's nomad i'm a fan of the mm. hashicorp ecosystem and so i spun up a quick introduction to nomad course which i kind of warned my friends at hashicorp i'm like hey i also did the OpenStack one uh so you may not be happy that i'm betting on your your technology uh, <laughs> as it didn't work out for the other side but you are legitimately the the person I look at as you know other folks. David Davis, another great person who like just does such a great job of creating content for Plural Site, uh, and also talk about Hashicorp. You've you are way up in the ecosystem for Hashicorp, and you've done such a phenomenal job. Let's talk quickly about your courses you've got there, uh, and and why you kind of chose that as as one of the paths you wanted to talk about. Sure. Yeah. So I, I focus on two different HashiCorp products, uh, Terraform and Vault. So if people aren't familiar with either of those products, I'll give a quick breakdown. Uh, so Terraform is all about automating the deployment of infrastructure through code. So it's a declarative format. All right. Some people call it a script. I prefer to call it declarative formatting because it's not actually a script. Yeah. Uh, and then you deliver that uh, that template, that declarative 
outline of what you want to Terraform and Terraform goes and makes it so in whatever cloud provider you want. And that includes on-premises stuff like VMware. And I think you even did like a little ebook on getting started with Terraform on VMware. So yeah, that's absolutely an option too. It's only limited by the providers that are written for it. So um, the reason I chose to do that, and that was actually the very first course I did for Pluralsight was getting started with Terraform. Um, the reason I chose to do that was because I was working in consulting and I was going into a lot of customers and they would need something spun up on AWS or Azure or wherever, and they would want it done correctly and quickly. And what I learned was if I use Terraform, the providers are different for the different clouds, but the syntax and structure, basically the programming language I was learning for the cloud was consistent across all of them. So I could create these templates with my team and deploy out these environments very quickly in whatever cloud the customer wanted to use. And then we could deliver that as uh, deliverables to the clients to go here, here's this uh, configuration file that lays out your entire environment. If you want to recreate it in another region or whatever, just run it again. Like It's that simple. Yeah. Um, so I was like, this is really cool technology. I want to talk about this more. Uh, maybe I should do a course on it. And so I went through the Pluralsight process and that ended up being a fairly popular and successful course um, in part just because the technology took off. So I think there's a lot of people super pumped about Terraform in general. Uh, there's a ton of content out there. And if people come to Pluralsight to learn it, my getting started course is where they typically uh, take off. The other technology uh, that I went into a bit was using HashiCorp's Vault product, which is basically a secrets lifecycle management product. If you are familiar with Amazon's KMS service or uh, Azure's, what do they call it, Azure Key Vault, uh, it's very similar to those services, but it's cloud agnostic. So you can spin up your Vault servers wherever it makes sense. They can run in containers, they can run on virtual machines, they can run any of the clouds. And then it does the whole lifecycle management of secrets. So think about passwords, API keys, uh, configuration data that might be sensitive. And then you can set up different authentication methods for a virtual machine or a service or something else to reach out to Vault and say, hey, I need this secret. Let me have it. And it'll do the authentication. And then if you need to change that secret, you can just rotate the secret and your application can reach out for an updated version. So secrets management is kind of a big thing. Um, I discovered it on my very first AWS project. They wanted me to set up cloud HSM. I don't know if you've ever played with that. Uh, it's very cumbersome and extremely expensive. And uh, I learned about secrets management. I was like, oh, this is kind of a big thing. Like this is important to developers and administrators. And when I saw HashiCorp had a product around that, I was like, I want to dive more into that. And one of the ways I learn, ironically enough, is by creating courses for Pluralsight. Uh, that forces me, uh, if anybody has ever taught anything, they'll learn very quickly. If you have to teach something to somebody else, you learn way more about that product or feature or topic than you ever knew before because it makes you think about your assumptions that you made when you were, when you were just typing out the commands. Now you have to actually think about, okay, what does that command actually do in the background because I need to explain that to someone in a way that makes sense to them. So uh, that's my very brief response on uh, the two technologies I'm working with on Pluralsight and, and uh, within the HashiCorp realm. Well, the, and you, you really highlight the most important thing of 
sometimes as creators, like content creators and education material creators, we learn to be able to teach only just ahead of the content itself. So sometimes <laughs> you find like, if you know how to structurally create learner content that's you know, focused on use cases, that's focused on objectives, that's, you know what you're getting out of it, you can kind of make this rubric of, of what somebody's gonna get. And the Pluralsight team kind of does that at the start. They're like, here's your abstract and, and what will the learner get in each of these things and, and what's the value. And it's funny, it's kind of like, it, it's like running a startup, you know, like here is a, <laughs> you know, what is the challenge that we're trying to solve? And here is a way, this is why it's important to be solved. And here is a way that I solve it. And this is why it's valuable in the way that I do it. That's like kind of like the basic of a startup of anything. And so when you do education material, it's the same flow. And so I remember way back in high school, I had a, a metal shop teacher <clears throat> and my metal shop teacher had to teach auto body because the auto body teacher was off on medical leave. My metal shop teacher was this crazy old Scottish guy, Mr. Craig. And Mr. <laughs> Craig would, you know, he would, he would tell you about all the things he did in metal shop. And all of a sudden he was teaching auto body and he's like, I've never done auto body, but I know what you need to do next week. So I'm going to sit in the shop tonight and learn how to do that. And mm. because he was a really good teacher, he was able to do that. And that taught me, I'm like, Ooh, wait a second. <clears throat> so if you want to be able to create content for somebody else, you don't necessarily have to be a 10 year industry expert. You just have to know how to be able to create it in a way that they can consume it and get value from it. Right. I think what's interesting is sometimes being the 10 year industry expert actually works against you because you've internalized so much of the technology that it's very difficult for you to understand where someone who's a newbie to the topic is coming from. You've already figured out, like, I understand IP addressing and subnetting, right? But if I need to explain that to someone like, say, my eight year old, he's going to have a very difficult time understanding that because he doesn't have the background of, well, what is IP addressing and what is networking even? And why would you need to know this stuff? And why do things need addresses? So you really need to, you need to break it down to that fundamental level. If you're like a CCIE, let's say, explaining something at that very fundamental level to another person who has no background in networking is going to be extremely difficult. Sometimes it's the person who has only been doing something for a couple of years. They remember starting out they remember knowing nothing and the things that they had to learn to get to the point that they're at now and in that regard they might be better suited at teaching that particular topic to somebody else who's just getting started you yes, also mentioned yes sorry, it, it's i and i love the the we forget once we've learned how we learn sometimes it's <laughs> yeah. it's so especially when there's like i find like the physical stuff is is more prevalent like when you're playing guitar, uh, when, you know, like I got a friend who's a, an amazing magician, like, and he was like, teach me a couple of things. And he's like, he's very good at being able to slow it down and tell you mm. because like, and even so I taught, like I taught my, my older kids, uh, you know, how to like, how to like fan a card deck. And it looks really slick because he's like twisted out and it comes in this beautiful fan. I don't know how to not do it now because I learned how to do it. And right. so, but I remember trying to do it the first time and it basically looked like I just sprayed cards out into my hands. <laughs> like there was no, right. there was no synchronicity to it. There was no, 
it, and now I do it and I can't help but do it in this perfect fan because once you learn the muscle memory of it, you can't unlearn it. But learning right. is, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you know, said IP addressing one of my favorite ones. People are like, oh yeah, well, so we need like three slash 29s and then we're going to put it under a 26. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Like you just explained <laughs> credit derivatives to me. And I've no, like, it's terrifying to try and like, okay, let's hold on for a second. Now, do, do we know what a X is and what a Y is? And then like stage through and, and be able to walk people through that without going like, oh, like, why don't you get this? <laughs> Which is also right. uh, why industry 10-year veterans often, they're like, doesn't this just make sense to you? They get like super frustrated. <laughs> Right. And to any other 10-year veteran, it absolutely does make immediate sense because they've been through that process of learning. But yeah, to the, the newbie, they're like, no, it doesn't make sense why you would do that because I haven't gone through the pain and the experience of learning why this is probably the best way to do it. Uh, similar experience of teaching my son how to bounce a basketball. I know how to bounce a basketball. I don't think about it. It's not something that I have to consciously, okay, here's where I put my hands and this is how I you know, push it down. But when you're teaching, uh, you know, an eight-year-old how to bounce a basketball, you have to explain all those things and really think about how you do it. And what's funny is when you're trying to explain it, you end up getting worse at it for a little because <laughs> now you're now you're thinking about the thing that was pure muscle memory before. But that's all to the side. Uh, the other important thing you brought up is um, learning how to teach is a skill in and of itself, and uh, a lot of people. You have to be an effective communicator and you also have to understand how to structure content in a way that reinforces the things that you want to teach. And it's a gradual process. Uh, doctors have a thing where you, uh, you learn it, you watch it, and then you teach it. Uh, so you, you have to learn it and then you have to watch someone actually do it. Um, and I think there's a step in there where you do it yourself. And then the last step is to teach it to somebody else, because then you've gone through that full cycle of reinforcing your own learning while passing it, you know, forward to another person. I think it's, I take a similar approach when I'm developing courses. If I'm giving a presentation, I'm going to mention the topic at the, at the beginning of the module or the, the chapter. And then I'm going to talk about it later in the chapter. And then I'm going to show you a code example of how to do it. And then I'm actually going to walk through a demonstration of doing it. And then the last part's actually on you. That's firing yeah, up your right. own console and, and going through the exercise yourself. Uh, you know, I can't uh, force you to do that. It's not, a, it's not a live lab. But that reinforcement of show you, do it, and then it's on you is, for me, I think one of the best ways of learning. Uh, but obviously, everybody has different learning styles, which is why you have the video training courses, but also just straight audio content and books and live labs and hands-on labs and all kinds of other manner of learning is because every, everybody learns a little bit differently and you need a combination to really get something down. The popular thing that I find for my own learning is that I, I like to... I like to fast forward to the good parts, like the stuff that I, because I, <laughs> I'm generally not chasing like the 101 content in certain areas, you know, sure. when I am, I definitely love like very strict walkthroughs and, and that's where the video training is particularly good. So that's why I always love giving intro courses and, and delivering people to that first like 101 layer. Cause there's always a fresh class of folks that are, that are, they're there for that. And 
what's funny is that once you get used to that, then you get to the 201 kind of level content. And then when you get to the 301, it's a really difficult thing to teach to 301 levels. I often said like, I want, I was doing a lot of stuff with PowerShell and PowerCLI. That's how my blog got started. I was mm. doing the stuff at work and then I would do all the stuff. So today, you know, literally here we are in 2020 now, I'll, <laughs> I'll have a hundred views on uh, how to do CSV inside PowerShell that I wrote in 2012. Every mm -hmm. day, about a hundred people come to visit this article. You know, it's like a three article series. So why is that still prevalent? here in 2020, eight years after, after I wrote the content, because there's always new people coming to, you know, learn, getting stuck and how to do it. But then what I found once I got to the next level, there was no 301 content, except for hanging around with Jeffrey Snover and Jeff Hicks and, <laughs> and learning how to do like C sharp program. Like you, it was, there, there is no easy like rubric of next level content once you get past general administrative tasks and building scripts and building some workflows, now it's like you're, you're at doctorate level type of stuff. Like you're immediately going, well, I'm going to create a complete scenario that's never been done before and it's not repeatable. And so it's no, it's worthless to teach a second time. And that's where I, I've, I'm always curious on like, as you go through that flow, do you yourself hit that thing where you're like, all right, no one can teach me anymore. I'm literally have to just figure some of the stuff out on my own. <laughs> I think I can always be taught, but uh, finding that content is difficult. And in part, I think it's what you mentioned. When you start at the more general level, everybody's building up that same basic set of skills. So when you said like a doctorate, I think that's a great analogy. You start out with say a degree, not even a degree, you start out with a diploma from high school. And everybody learns basically the same things in high school. Yes, you might be a little more advanced on math or you took body, uh, auto body, or you took, uh, you know, some other uh, special specialty class. But for the most part, we all learn the same things. And then you get to college and you specialize a little bit more, but still your degree that you get from a four-year college is still going to be somewhat generalized. If you get a computer engineering degree all the other computer engineers out there probably learned about the same stuff that you did. It's more specialized, but it's still general enough. Once you start reaching the master's and doctorate level, it starts getting increasingly specialized and it just explodes out into all these different niches that you can really go deep on. And for instance, my cousin is, uh, she's an astrophysicist and she sent me her dissertation because I was curious and it had something to do with helium atoms and that's where I gave up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's gotten so specialized. Uh, the only people that might be interested in reading that dissertation are astrophysicists who are specifically curious about the interaction of helium atoms with something, 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 something. And no one else is going to read that. So creating content for the, less, the more generalized and less specialized areas, there's a ton of content out there and it's easier to do. When you start getting into more generalized use cases, uh, more specific use cases rather, now uh, there's less content out there. It's harder to make. And honestly, you're probably not going to get as many views off of it for that more specialized content because there's less people that are interested in it. Yeah, your audience definitely thins out uh, at the top of the, you know, if you take the funnel and turn it upside down, effectively, that's <laughs> what it is, is that, that, that 401, like, and above content is, is always going to be a very, very niche audience. And that's why you find even like university profs teaching university profs that that's when they get to 
you know, master's programs and, and, and doctorate programs. And then you get into stuff like CCIE and VCDX for the VMware side of the world. You know, and those uh, those type of things. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't actually have like a master's level, uh, and I say that you know, like a, a very very top level certification. They have the the broad MCSE, you mm-hmm. know, and they've got some specialty exams that go a little bit higher up. Yeah, but there's no one above that, uh, and <laughs> a lot of it is like the practical use, like VCDXs. They they follow after like the TOGAF framework of how to do architectures for enterprise architects. And you, having you know lived the life as a consultant and, and, a, and a cloud architect or a general systems architect, you know that's that's teaching other architects. You don't. It's hard to teach. You just basically teach them the foundations, and then mm-hmm. you shove them out in the world and say, "All right, give it a whirl." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, you just rely on peer review and checking your work, and hopefully you have other architects in your organization who are willing to look at what you created and validate it before it goes out the door to the client. And that's ideal. I've, one of the things I keep hearing at conferences is people ask for deep dives. They want to get into the nitty gritty about specific topics. And then I go to some of the actual sessions that are deep dive and nitty gritty. And there's like six people there because those are the six people that were most vocal. I think what most people actually want is a Q and a session. They just want these extremely smart people who have been doing things in the industry for 10 or 15 years and are really drilled into Microsoft Exchange or PowerShell or you know Linux. They want to ask them tough questions that are specific to their world. And hopefully that person will be able to give an intelligent answer. So I think that's when people say they want to go on a deep technical dive, I think most of the time what they really want is an expert that they can bounce questions off of. Yeah, and I think that's the, the the beauty of the situational discussion is that you can be very, it's not even just use case focused, like it's a literal use case. Like, look, I got this weird problem that <laughs> happened. Have you ever seen this before? And I've watched folks and giving, like being the the presenter for those is is kind of cool, but kind of terrifying. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's definitely the idea of being able to take anything that comes your way and also sometimes going to, Hmm, that's a really great question. I don't have the answer for that right now, but let's catch up after the fact. Let's stay in touch. And then, and quite often you can sort of like, Ooh, let me sort of dig into that uh, right. and, and go, go down the road. Now the, this is the fun part too, for creating content. You've probably gotten some of this feedback and I've, I've gotten this very proudly have been sort of trounced on for like, Content was too general. I wanted more out of it. Like, yeah, that, that's that's what's called introduction to, uh, you know, as the as the technology course level, and even like giving keynotes or or giving sessions at, at events, you you're bound to shed thirty percent of the audience that wanted more, thirty percent that thought it went too fast. And then 60% or like, you know, that, sorry, I'm terrible at math. So, (laughs) you know, the remaining sort of 40% that are like, right on, this is cool. You know, they were really, they're digging in. The problem is that each extreme of the edges are also the most vocal and most likely to write feedback in the, in the comments, right? They're going to be like, you know, this was wrong. I would have done this differently. They're like, all right, kid come on up on stage. Like I, I welcome you to like share your experiences, but it's, it's tough when you're creating 
content that's very specifically meant to engage an audience for a period of time and help them learn three things, which in one hour is a ba the best you're going to come away with. And yeah. I build on my keynotes that way. I'm like, you're going to walk away. And I even at the start, sometimes I feed it. I'm like, here's the three things you're going to learn. And like one, do this thing. Two, <laughs> we're going to do this. And three, you're going to be doing this. All right, let's get started. And then at the end, because I've I treat it like any other course, you know, like this is what you're <laughs> going to learn today. And yeah. inevitably someone on the other side is like, bull crap, you know, <laughs> because yeah. they, they knew more. And, and I respect that. And it's hard. Like it's hard for also, it's hard for the people in the audience when that vocal person can actually pull sometimes the speaker down a rabbit hole and, and, right. and you know, shed the audience a bit more. Yeah. I've seen that at talks and, and I've, people have tried to draw me into that trap when I'm giving a talk is they'll ask me a really specific question about a particular use case. And I know that's, that's a two hour conversation by itself that I need to have with that person. And so my standard response is, that is a great question. I don't think we have time to get into that right now. I'd love to talk to you after the presentation. And that's the simplest way to go about it so that they feel like they've been heard because that's part of the reason people get up is they just want someone to hear them. And, and acknowledge them as a person in the room. And after that, I've said, and if you want to talk to me later, and I, it's about 50-50 whether they're actually come over afterwards and talk to me later. Um, part of it just seems to be, I want to be heard at this particular event. Cool, heard you. I'm going to you know plow forward with my thing because I think that's the thing that most people came here to listen about and not your specific use case for this. Yeah, it's basically, it's the keynote version of duly noted, you know, <laughs> like, gotcha, kid. Uh, and, but it, admittedly, it's you're, you're not doing it to sort of tamp down the person's vigor for wanting to, to say something or, or be a part of this conversation. But you're really like, hey, we're like the broader group is here for a specific set of goals. And we're, mm -hmm. I got to, I got to nail that story without doing it in the way of like, sorry, let me just get back. I got to get to this next slide. You've got to do it in a way that, like you said, you're saying, Hey, a hundred percent, this is really cool. I'd love to dive in further with you. So they feel like they've been engaged with mm -hmm. you've uh, attended to their, their question. And, you know, like you said, when you see them present that quite often, you see that the hand go up in the back and they're like, I've got a question. And then it's a three minute statement at that point to like, that's actually, it's actually not a question. Love it. Uh, you know, but I love to engage that and say, Hey, that's a great point. This mm -hmm. is where I've also seen similar things. Uh, and again, like you said, let's, let's take it offline. Um, because that's actually a pretty niche and interesting topic. And I'd actually love to talk to you more about your experiences with it and, and very nicely, you know, set back to the course that you were on, which was, Hey, I've got, you know, 14 more slides I got to get through to get to the three <laughs> points that I wanted people to learn at the end of this discussion. Right. And that's not to say that their point isn't interesting. Like, a lot of the time I am genuinely interested in talking more about it. And if I had all the time in the world, I would absolutely dive down that rabbit hole with that person right then and there. I just have to acknowledge that I'm there for the hundred or, you know, 300 people that are in the room and not just me and that other person. And so I need to respect everybody else's time as well. But a lot of the time they are really interesting questions that I do want to hear more about uh, if, if I had all the time in the world. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, 
not unlike when you think of a consulting engagement. You walk into a company, you've got your statement of work, a thing that you want to achieve. You're going to mm -hmm. build out this, this you know, significant architecture. And part of it is you're going to include Vault. Uh, but then you got somebody who's on the development team who's like, oh, I've got this really funky use case I want to nail down and I think Vault can do it. Well, of course, you want to help them do that. But you also have to look at the hours you've got towards the project, the amount of time you've got to do, how your time is spread and how the money is being spent. You obviously can't, you know, you can do it off the side of the desk. Say like, hey, that's really cool. Let's, let's do this when we got some free time, you know, or keep in touch just because you have a personal joy of learning this use case. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's exactly the same thing. You can't say, okay, forget about this juggernaut project that's on, on the go here. I'm going to take the next three days and we're going to like nerd out on, on secrets management with you. You'd love to do it, but you have to weigh it against the audience and the goal of what it is that you're doing. Um, right. So one thing I want to tap into, which I, I have a very personal uh, love for is extending education, extending into areas of the industry and, and to, you know, society where people don't necessarily have access to the content. Uh, I've been lucky that the Pluralsight team have always been good. They, they used to give out like cards for like a free month of access. And, and mm -hmm. so I would tell people, I'm like, Hey, you know, do this thing and don't, don't watch my course, like find another thing that's out there. Like, this is not about you viewing my stuff. I want you to get value out of this thing. And I would help them. Like, here's like three courses that I think you should really watch. Uh, because right. of like having a conversation with them. And whenever I go to con to conferences, my favorite thing to do is, is find folks that just are brand new there. And, and maybe, you know, they, they're the 30% of the audience that got shed. They like, like for folks that want to learn more, like come, come and see me, you know, let's get in touch. Here's my email address. Here's my Twitter handle. DMS are open. Right. Uh, how, how have you found your, you know, view of education, uh, especially because you really are as like advanced, you know, exposure to the industry and you know, what do you do around keeping people, you know, interested in bringing people in potentially that, that may not have realized that they need to be on this ride. Right. Yeah. So I think part of it is blogging. Uh, blogging is a way to share information in a way that's free. My blog is absolutely free. It's not like you have to pay to log in and I don't run ads on it. I just run my blog because I want to share information and create content outside of the various paid <laughs> places where I, where I create content. So that's certainly a good jumping off point. And if you look on, it, just do a Google search for anything that you want to learn, you'll find free content out there. A number of vendors have set up their own learning sites that are completely free because it's to their benefit for you to learn more about whatever their product is. I know HashiCorp and, and not to downplay my own stuff, uh, but they have their own learn site where they have stuff about Vault and Terraform and Nomad where you can go and get like a little bit of a, an education on how those work. And if you want to go deeper, yeah, maybe you hit up the Pluralsight course, but the content that they have is free. Uh, another thing, and I think cloud has really flipped everything on its head in the last, you know, five years when it comes to learning, because you no longer need to spend the upfront capital to get this crazy lab in your basement to try something out. You don't need access to a data center through work to, to try out a new product or feature. No, you just, as long as you have a credit card 
and can open up a subscription on Azure or you can create an account on Amazon and try to stay on their free tier, you can learn a ton of stuff about how things work and then go and get that certification or, or whatever makes sense for you. Uh, so those are all great opportunities. Um, I know Pluralsight still does give out those uh, codes to authors that they can give to people. For, it's a 30-day, no credit card or anything. It's just a redemption code and you get a 30-day pass to Pluralsight. I get those occasionally and I do like to give them out to, to learners. You know, whether it's on Twitter, hey, hit me up in the DMs if you're interested in getting this, you know, make your case and I will, you know, send you uh, a code for that. So that's a way to get more learning out there. Um, and then there's a number of online conferences that are also free to attend. Uh, I know Packet Pushers, uh, which is the Day 2 Cloud, is on pack, the Packet Pushers network of podcasts. They do a virtual design clinic on uh, about every six months. And it's, you know, three or four speakers and, you know, at least one vendor usually uh, giving presentations about topics. And then they do a Q&A, ask me anything between each presentation. So there you go. There's another free thing that you could do. And uh, lastly, I know um, this is coming up in, I want to say March or so, HashiCorp is going to do their 24 hours of Hashi Talks. Right, so yeah. It's yeah. <clears throat> 24 hours of presentations, uh, which reminds me I need to submit a paper for that. But uh, Yeah, is, you and me uh, both. You and me, <laughs> I'll race you. <laughs> uh, but now I know what I need to do today. Um, but that is another opportunity. So I think there's so much content out there I think the hard, maybe the hardest place is figuring out where to start because technology is so vast and wide. Do you start down the developer track? Do you start down an infrastructure track? What's the pros and cons of doing that? Maybe that's a whole conversation in and of itself is just where do I even start if I want to get into technology? Because you can't just say tech. That's, that's like saying math. I want to get into math. Uh, there's so many different avenues that could take how do you decide as a, as a learner and someone who's looking to make a career change, where do you even start with that? Yeah, and I think this is the, the focus that I'm doing a lot heading into this year is uh, I've been doing mentoring programs. I'm actually building a platform specifically around connecting mentors uh, with mentees. It was such a weird word, mentee. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a candy. Uh, and making sure that you you match people effectively so that they will get the best value out of the relationship. Because really that's what it is. It's not just the content. Because if you want content, you'd read it. If you wanted content, right. you can find it in video form. You can find it in these different forms. What you're looking for is somebody who's going to be a personality match to you in order mm -hmm. to help you through this journey and get you through some of the first hurdles that you're you're going to hit, which we know. And especially because mentors tend to be people that have been mentored by peers at some point in their life. They've learned how to help people through these transitions. And, and the career transition is one of the most challenging because, you know, you can't just, you know, hashtag learn to code, right? That was the big, big <laughs> thing. Uh, it was the coal miners. Uh, and there was this whole big thing around, you know, we've got to shut down the coal industry. And I think it was actually, it was a pretty tough issue because what happened was, people put out, you know, learn to code. And that was, it was like a Vox article or salon.com. Some, some, you know, place had done a piece on it. And they said, like, get over the, the 150 year old industry you're in and learn to code. And it actually, Twitter actually had to like shut down the hashtag and start like tamping down because people were saying really vicious things against the, 
the people that are writing these articles going like, oh, okay, so what happens when your newspaper gets shut down? Hashtag learn to code, you know, dickhead. You know, like people were getting really angry about it. And so they right. started dogpiling on and, and it became a problem where, because it's, it's not just as easy as learn to code. Like I, I, I know how to play guitar to some degree, but only because it's like, I've got a, an ability inti- inside my brain that allows me to think musically, but I can't sing and that's it. So hashtag learn to sing is useless to me. You know, I've, because I'm just physically, I don't, I don't want to do it enough to actually go through this very long process of training my body to do it. And, but to a singer, they're like, anybody can sing. Like, no, no, no. You see the can't. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> and code is a very specific mental model that you have to like, I'm not a developer. I write hunks of code. I write scripts. I do things that are very specific, tackling a specific problem. But I, if the moment I pick up, like learn to code in 100 days, I hit day three and I'm like, I'm tapping out kid. I don't care about strongly typed architect. I have no idea what that even means. I've been in the industry for 25 years. No idea what the hell strongly typed, you know, structure means. And I don't care. (laughs) So I'm never going to hashtag learn to code. I'm going to learn to get it. So I have this massive respect for folks that do this jump and are able to do it. Like I always saw, I mean, I used to be a cobbler. I literally used to fix shoes for a living. I was a landscaper. I built houses. I did all these crazy things. And then I got into IT. But the truth is I was in IT when I was a kid and my dad was a systems architect. So I, I was always around it. Well, those other things were in fact the weird side gig. Uh, now here's the fun part. What's the weirdest thing you've done in your life that has absolutely nothing to do with what you do today? <laughs> you know, it's an interesting question. And I think the easy answer is nothing because everything somehow leads back to <laughs> what I do today. And uh, sometimes the strangest ways. Maybe uh, let's go with, because we've been talking about music a lot, right? Uh, in high school and a little bit of college, I was in a series of metal bands as the lead singer. And nice. I, I say singer, but what I really mean is lead screamer. Because yeah. I, like you, I cannot <laughs> sing, uh, but I can yell real loud. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was my particular skill. And you would think, okay, well, that has nothing to do with IT, right? You were in a band, you yelled angry lyrics because you were a teenager and you know all suburban teenagers are angry. But I think it did. I think it did impact because one of the things I got comfortable with is being up on a stage. And between songs, you know, sometimes I would talk to the audience. I got comfortable with that being my thing. And so when I started presenting through, uh, you know, going to conferences or, or speaking just to a group of people when I was in consulting and I had to, you know, give a presentation to a group of C-class people who were, you know, going to give me a lot of money to do something. I immediately felt comfortable in that role because I'd been on stage before under pressure. Okay, I can do this. It's a different format. Yes. And I can't scream at them as much as I might want to, but (laughs) that skill set helped me. Um, Another good example of that is podcasting. Back in 2006 for, this is again, music related for about six months, I did a podcast that was music and it was a weekly podcast where I just played songs that I thought were interesting, did some music news, and that was it. 
and there were like 13 episodes. You know, I never really got off the ground. But through the process, I learned a bunch about how to set up a podcast. What are the things to think about with that? And years later, when the opportunity arose at work to start a podcast, I already had all that experience of how to do it and how to set up set it up as a format. All I had to do was now jump in and create the content. So you'd think like starting a podcast in 2006 about music would have nothing to do with IT consulting. And yet I have two podcasts now and it's because of what I did back in 2006. So I think the, well, short and very long answer is pretty much anything you do in life is going to trickle into the way you approach your career. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think it's everything is a foundation on which you build the next thing. And your choice is to see see it as a limitation that you're you're stuck inside or see it as an opportunity for can I take the skill that I've learned in this thing, whether it's like I said, I people want it, they they can be cooking literally like, you know, they they're on the fry bucket, you know, they're working in fast food. And they're frustrated because they don't want that to be where they they retire from, you know. So they kind of have to make this sort of urgent choice. Okay, what can I do? Can I take the skills that I've learned here? Oh, right. I'm not just literally, you know, working fast food. I'm learning logistics and organization and time management and people management and and you know physical ergonomics of how you set up a restaurant. There's a lot mm-hmm. of th- like everything you're in is a lesson in business it's a matter of whether you can draw from it and i always tell people go to work every day and steal something i'm like don't not pens and like books <laughs> and like computers that's illegal however steal knowledge you're surrounded by yeah. people who built this organization who are in areas that you may not be in yet but you want to be go like hang out with them catch up with them at lunch you know just like hey you know you work on the networking team so you know what's it like? And just like ask people and what you find as well as we in, especially in technology, we love to share stories. And mm-hmm. that's often the best sort of path to your, whatever's next is like learn from the trenches. Cause if you go through and like, this is how everything works when it's perfect. Well, no, it, it, it actually doesn't learning to podcast. Yeah. I, every, everybody I know has a podcast for about 12 episodes. <laughs> and yep. then the wheels come off the bus because we all talk to each other. And I'm lucky enough to be in an amazing peer group of incredibly smart people. So I can like go, hey, you know, pick pick a handful of people. Like, do you want to be on the podcast? And we do one together. Like, great. And then all of a sudden, once you're out of friends and you're out of ideas, <laughs> you're like, this is cool. So what I've was able to do was now this is like episode like 97 uh, or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I've now got to the point where it's, it's a self-fulfilling machine. I've got actually two like PR companies that seek out like startup founders and they send them to me. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. But boy, oh boy, breaking that first 15 and 20 is, is where, where it's tough. And that's my hope is that, you know, same as with what you do with Pluralsight, you're not just doing this to get them to, from A to B, you want to get them to, so I'll say Z because I'm, is it Z or Z? I can't remember. I, I live in two <laughs> countries, so I, I can't remember which, which is which. But your goal is not to just get them there and then leave them. You're doing this to create a foundation and to open up this idea that like, ooh, what if I wanted to now go to the next level? And I think that's what 
education and what we have as like a peer relationship opportunity. And I think even a responsibility of, of doing and uh, you know, I, and I've got a huge respect, like you do so much content and you may not even realize how much you're able to influence and impact people because of just doing what you do. It's, it's actually very, very cool. And I mean, hell, I mean, at the level that I'm creating content at myself, I'm learning from you every day. Right. And, and other folks like Ethan and, and the packet pushers team. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's always that thing. And so it's, it, we do have an amazing ability to influence the outcomes for people that don't even know that they're on a path, which is kind of, it's pretty badass if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. I almost think of it not even as leveling up because that implies that there's a defined architecture here and you're moving from one level to another in a building, right? It's more of like a, diaspora of paths. So you start with these fundamental skills and then you learn some other skill which sends you down this other path. And then you learn another skill which is send you down another path. And you can go down multiple paths and learn a whole bunch of different stuff. And you don't necessarily have to level up. It's more just learning more and becoming the person that you want to be at this moment in time. Uh, I did a an episode with Scott Lowe on the full stack journey. And one of the things we talked about was right now I'm working for myself as an independent consultant and content creator. That's the right thing for me right now. And that's going to change. I guarantee in five years, I'm not going to be doing the exact same thing. Just like five years ago, I was doing it consulting hundred percent and I don't do that now. So I think there's a natural evolution that happens with people, especially in IT. There's so many opportunities and I can't, I'm not even going to try to predict what I'm going to be doing in five years because I could not have predicted what I'm doing now five years ago. The technology changes, the opportunities change so often, which is really exciting if you're just getting started because every time something new comes out, that's an opportunity for you to level set with everybody else who's just getting on board with that thing. I mean, Kubernetes is still just a, you know, cause I got to bring up Kubernetes in every single podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's sort of the hot new up and coming thing, right? It's not too late to get on board with that because it is still early days. And if you are just getting started, a buddy of mine just started in software development. I want to say three years ago after trying to work in education for, <laughs> he was trying to be an elementary school teacher for 10 years and he could never get a contract because there's so many elementary school teachers. <laughs> yeah. He went into software development and he's doing great now. And he asked me about Kubernetes and I was like, yes, get on board that train and absolutely learn it because everybody else is exactly where you are on it. And every time technology rolls a new wave in, that's your opportunity to get on that surfboard or whatever. I'm not sure where this analogy ends up, but it's your chance to catch that next wave and be on the same grounding as everybody else. And if anything, what you're doing with that is again, reminding people that this is a, this is a way to learn a, a, a method and that method will be repeatable in other things. So it was the, uh, you know, halt and catch fire as uh, a show on, on Netflix, I think, or, or it was AMC or whatever. And the, mm -hmm. you know, Joe McMillan, who's the crazy, like Steve Jobs type of, you know, cra you know, personality. And he says like, this is not, this isn't the thing. This is the thing that makes the next thing. And this mm. like Kubernetes is effectively that thing, like learning Kubernetes 
is teaching you how to do something that you're not necessarily going to be a Kubernetes operator, but you're going to be learning about cloud native architectures and mm -hmm. Kubernetes will be the way that you do that. And then in doing that now, all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, well, I'm going to do it for public cloud or I'm going to do it for, you know, VMware's next uh, iterations of, of their products. So no matter what it is, you're teaching yourself to learn. And, and I think that's the value that we, we all have. And, and hopefully folks that, you know, listen to podcasts and listen to the day two. I love the, the idea of day two cloud. The approach was very distinct that look, we get this lots of, lots of people start and then you don't keep rolling and being able to continuously operate is, is where the, the rubber hits the road, so to speak, right. To, to just <laughs> yes. jam another crappy uh, uh, <laughs> witticism in there. But, that is, I think, what we need to do more as, as technologists is remember that if we do day one enough and day zero enough, that no matter what the technology is, you've learned the method. And if we can teach the method, then, you know, we can empower people to do pretty badass things in, for the rest of their life. So that yep. when you, whatever you do next, you know that you can basically walk away and said, hey, look, I, I know if I have to, I can create content and I've got a, a method that I can follow that will help me to support my family and, and, and such like that. So it's, uh, that's it. I know it's a weird, like, I, I, I just love this responsibility that we have as, as creators to like help people create a, you know, lay down a path. And I think that's the most important thing. So I, I mm -hmm. could talk literally all day to you, Ned, uh, <laughs> but I do not have the time uh, in your schedule to steal that, those hours. Uh, but for people who do want to steal hours and, and really learn, I recommend they go jump on Plural site. Uh, if they want to reach out to me, uh, so of course, at DiscoPosti on Twitter, uh, same with you, your Ned1313. Uh, mm -hmm. Folks, we, we may be able to open some doors for folks to get some quick, you know, free access to, to get into the platform. Uh, of course, uh, Ned in the Cloud, uh, you do some great writing there as well. Day two podcast, just go to Packet Pushers. Uh, you can pick up that stuff. Uh, there's there's so many ways to get more Ned, uh, and but uh, the world the world needs more Ned. And thank you, and for being um, you know somebody who just does a great job. And and like whether you know it or not, you're you're teaching a lot of us uh, in just doing what you do every day. Well, I'm I'm honored to do it, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was a really good time. Yeah, this is going to be another one. So we are in 2020. Uh, this is crazy. These are uh, these are going to be shows that hopefully live on uh, for folks that do want to catch more. I recommend please go to iTunes and, and rate the podcast. It also helps us to get a bit more ears and, and eyes on things. Uh, and of course, for folks that want to follow along, you can go to discopossepodcast.com because there's uh, a lot of them. Uh, like I said, we're, we're almost kicking up to 100 if you're listening to this one. Uh, and with that, we're going to roll down. Ned, thank you very much. I hope to catch up in person. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of your content in the 24 hours of hashy greatness that's coming up. And, uh, but one way or another, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch and, and looking forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Eric. Hey everybody, it's time again. Grab a cup of joe and get your friends. Put on your headphones, put a disco 